0: Welcome to the Turning Point Church podcast. We pray that this message takes root in your heart and bears fruit in your life. For additional messages and other resources, you can visit us at www.tpoint.church. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about tonight. You know, when uh, when I was growing up, um, I never heard any any sermons at all about Prayer and fasting, and uh, I think a lot of uh, Christians think that uh, prayer and fasting is something that they used to do back in the Middle Ages or even before that. Um, but uh, a lot of people uh, are afraid to hear about it because it it hurts their flesh, and pastors are afraid to preach on it. Sometimes I think it's. Uh, Probably for pastors, they think it'd be just as profitable to get up in the pulpit and preach, or preach uh, curse words rather than preach about fasting. But uh, what we need to do is get into this, and I've got a, and uh, I've got a I came up with uh, 10 benefits of fasting. And so I'm going to start up with uh, number 10, 10 benefits of fasting. Now, this is profound, so you might want to write all this down, but uh, the first one is is time going too quickly for you? If time is going too quickly for you, then then fast. <laughs> How many of you think it goes real slow when you fast? We're, we're, we're about halfway right now on the fast, but uh, you know, we're over that heartbreak kill. How many of you know what heartbreak kill is? If you run marathons, you'll You'll find out that Heartbreak Kill is that part of the marathon where you hit that breaking point And most people quit at, at that point because it, it, they just feel fatigued to the, beyond their, their uh, ability. And so uh, they, they quit. But if you can get through that, that place right there, it's all downhill from there. Everyone say, it's all downhill from here. Amen. Number nine, are you bored of food? you bored with food, fast. How many of you know when you fast, you're not bored with food anymore? I remember the first time I fasted, I was in my, I think I was, yeah, I was about 20, 21, and uh, I never fasted before, so I decided to uh, give it a try, and I was, uh, at the time, I was a commercial printer, and we had a big plant where we were working, and uh, I was walking along. And I saw a dirty French fry laying on the floor. And I'll tell you what, that French fry looked so good. And you know what, I still can see that French fry today. It's burned into my brain. And uh, sometimes I think about that French fry. Carol, Carol the other day was uh, making uh, dog and the dogs and cat food. And uh, she was looking very longingly at the cat food. So number nine, if you're bored of, with food... Uh, just fast. Number eight, feeling like you're perfect just the way you are. AKA peaked spiritually fast. Number seven, tired of shopping at the grocery store. Fast. You only have to shop while you're fast. How about number six, tired of doing dishes? Fast. Everyone say fast. Number five, not liking the extra pounds you put on at the holidays. Fast. Number four, want to save some money? Fast. This number three is for singles here, for the girls. You want an excuse to turn down Billy Bob or for the boys, his toothless sister, when they ask you for a date. Fast. Number two, want to do something to increase your immune system, rid your body of toxins, renew your body's cells, and overall have better health? Fast. There's been a lot of studies done on fasting, and, you know, it's crazy. I actually read about worldly people going on 40-day fasts. And I said, wow, just for their health. And most Christians won't fast a couple days. Number one, this is really the heart of it. You want to do something to increase your potential for getting closer to God. It's probably the best way I know to get close to God fast. The main text we're going to take in Jeremiah 29, if you want to turn there. Many of you are familiar with uh, verse 11, and we stop there. You know, verse 11, Jeremiah 29, it says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts to prosper you and, and all these good things, but God has more than that. Psalm 29, verse 12 through 13 says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That last part, when you search for me with all of your heart, that's the key to the whole verse. Your whole heart. That means 100%. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It means that you have to be focused on God. And when God says, if you can get there, if you can focus on me, and you can search for me with all of your heart, you're going to find me. How many of you want to find God in a new and a powerful way? He's inviting us this morning, or this evening. rather. I wrote down, fasting is the expression of a radical hunger for God. And if you're hungry for God, you want to fast. Because God is asking us to go after him with our whole heart. And that's the best way to do it. Now, what is the biblical case for fasting? What's the biblical case? Uh, Do you know the Bible in the New Testament actually talks about fasting? Well the number one thing I could find is that the fact that Jesus fasted. I mean, who's our example? Amen. Jesus fasted, then whatever Jesus did, we need to try to do as well. Amen. Jesus fasted and then he said this in Matthew 6:17, "When you fast, when you fast, what does that imply? That implies you're going to fast sometime. There's a lot of Christians that Get saved, live their whole life, and die. Never fast one time. And Jesus said, when you fast, and he gave instructions as far as when you fast, do it with the right attitude. Don't do it to be seen by men. Don't do it in a pompous, arrogant way. That's not what it's about. In fact, when you see it in the Old Testament, it talks about when you humble yourself and fast. Humility is often connoted with fasting. So when you fast, it's a, it's a humbling thing. And, and to go around saying, hey, everybody, I'm fasting. That's what Jesus said was wrong. But he said, when you fast, implies you're going to fast. Number two, Paul. Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 and 27, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and labor is more abundant and stripes above measure In verse twenty-seven, he says, "In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often." If Paul fasted often, why do you think he fasted? What was the secret of the of the ministry that Paul, you know, went out and and performed, you know, in the name of Jesus as a servant of the Most High God? He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. I've often wondered why. Roman Catholics think Peter was the Pope when Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And Paul rebuked Peter, if you ever, if you ever read that. He rebuked him to his face. And I thought, wow, that doesn't make sense. <clears throat> you know, many year, or several years ago now, um, as I was seeking God and wanting to go deeper with God, my wife and I, we took a trip out to Arizona. We were actually going out there to, uh, to get my brother-in-law. I I took a trip from there up to uh, Las Vegas and got him, and brought him back here. But when I went out there, uh, we met with some friends, and they said, have you ever heard of this book? It's called The New Atomic Power with God Through Fasting and Prayer by Franklin Hall. I said, never heard of it. Well, it was it was written, I believe, in 1950, late 40s or early 50s, okay? And I said, never heard of it. They said, well, this is a fantastic book on fasting, and uh, they started telling me about it, and I read it for myself, and I found out that uh, the healing revival, how many have ever heard of the healing revivals? The healing revival was back in the 50s, and there were many preachers who went out, a lot of them took tents out, and you can get on YouTube today, and you can pull up some of this. Oral Roberts was one of them, and you know... You know, Oral Roberts, when he was older, he wasn't he wasn't doing as much for God, you know, as he had done. But when he was a young man, he was on fire, and there were some great miracles that you can witness. That's on videotape, and they say that the the, the reason why the fifty survival of healing uh, even started was because of this book right here. They said this book went through the body of Christ, and it went worldwide, and there were things that happened all around the world. It's interesting that uh, Billy Graham started his ministry primarily in the fifties, early like nineteen fifties, when he really took off. And so there was a lot of people praying and fasting, and a lot of things happening in the earth. So I recommend this book if you can find it. It's on Amazon um, if you want to order it. If you want want the name of it, uh, you could ask me after service, and I'll give it to you. So this is the this is the sermon title I came up with, and and. Uh, I actually thought um, about Pastor Russell when I came up with this title, and he's not even in here to hear it. But the title of it is "The Inside Skinny on Fasting." The Inside Skinny on Fasting—it's a play on words. How many of you are feeling a little more skinny today? We're going to get to skinny. I put a definition down for fasting. Uh, I didn't get it out of a dictionary. Just wrote it down, but I I think it's a good one. It says, a spiritual exercise that purposely weakens the body through discipline involving the withholding of food, entertainments, and other pleasurable pursuits, so that the man of God can get the upper hand by exclusively pursuing God. It is sharpening your spirit in order to give place to the Holy Spirit. And that, in a nutshell, is what fasting is all about. Our problem when we deal with trying to follow Christ is the flesh. How many of you know that? I mean, if we could get rid of the flesh, just think about what we could do. And if you think about it, when you die, the only thing that doesn't go to heaven is your flesh. Because your carnal flesh cannot go to heaven. It's going to be resurrected one day, but it has to die first. Because in its present state, in its fallen state, and yes, your spirit is redeemed, but your flesh is still in its fallen state. That's why it dies. That's why it gets sick. That flesh is really the reason why we have a problem following God. And so we've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with the flesh. Romans seven eighteen says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, Nothing good dwells, for the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Paul also said in Second Corinthians seven one, therefore the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven it says, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified what was the method that paul used well we already read about it one of the methods was fasting fasting's often and i believe paul practiced fasting because he wanted to be humble before god he wanted to stay full of god and in order to be full of god sometimes you got to get empty of uh, of all those hot dogs and hamburgers and everything else that 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 we eat there's a constant war that's going on inside of us, and it's, it's the flesh that tries to keep us down. It teams up with the enemy to keep us anchored to this fallen world. Galatians 5.16-18 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another." so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The flesh is always the Achilles heel of the Christian. It's, it always trips us up. It always makes us fall short of God's best for our lives. And so we got to deal with it. So the question is, what can be done? Colossians 3, verses 5 through 7 says, Therefore, put to death your members that are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived with them. So what is, this is a question here, what is the biblical Christian way to put flesh to death? Anybody got an answer? Well, fasting, yeah. But, but what, let's, let's ask, how did, how did Jesus deal with sin? crucifixion. I want to say this this is, this is a quote the Lord gave me, I think it's profound in some ways, but it says it says this when we fast we are as close to the cross as we will we're as close to the cross as we will ever be. Jesus said to take up our cross and follow him, what is, he, what is he asking us to do? Why, why are we to take up a cross and follow him? Because he wants us to crucify our flesh so that we can give glory to God through a life that is not controlled by flesh, but rather by the Spirit. And yes, fasting is the, the ultimate answer because as we fast, we're crucifying the flesh, and that's what God has asked us to do. And Joel 2 Verse 12 and 13, it says, Now therefore, saith the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he, rel- and he relents from doing harm. I think God spelled it out pretty quickly right there, what he's talking about when he says, Search for me with all your heart. He says, come turn to me with your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. I don't know about you, but at this this fast I've been doing a lot of weeping. You know my wife and I we, we suffered loss of our son here a few years back and we've done a lot of weeping over that, but this weeping is different. This is a mourning over sin. And 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 it seems like what God is doing in my life, maybe in yours, it's there's not overt sin. We're not out, you know, drinking and carousing and, and doing you know lewd things. None of that's going on. We're serving God. But you know, there's hidden things in the heart. And as you fast, as you get honest with God, and that's what I, I ask you to do, is get honest with God as you humble yourself the Holy Spirit will begin to bring up little things, little little tiny things. You know, the Bible says the little foxes spoil the vine. It doesn't take much to trip us up. You know, it just amazes me sometimes, you know, talking about being tripped up, how a little thing on the ground, maybe a maybe a twig or something, I can hit that with my foot and fall down like a klutz. It's the same thing spiritually. It's not the big things that that trip us up a lot of times. It's just a little thing. It's a little pride that comes up. Somebody gives you an evil look, and you think, well, you know, I'm not, you know, they're kind of scruffy, <laughs> you know. What kind of job do they got? It's little things that, you know, come up inside of us, defense mechanisms, little prides, little angers. People ask you a question, and you get, you know, kind of terse with them because you don't like the question. And God is asking us to begin to deal with these things and to mourn for them and ask Him to not only to forgive us, but to remove the inclination. Amen? A lot of times we're quick to ask God to forgive us, but how about going after the source of why we do what we do? And the only way to really get down to the root of it, you know, I... I, I've done so many things in life you can ask me. I, you know, I was a commercial landscape account manager for a while, big commercial landscape company. I had to go to Ohio State, take courses, and get certified and all this kind of stuff. So I learned a lot about that. I used to work on a farm, so I'm pretty good at knowing about plants. And I know one thing. A lot of plants, if you don't get the root out, it'll come right back. And it's the same thing with us with sin. We can ask God to forgive us, and the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that will help you, but it won't help the world. And God wants you to help the world to see Jesus. And the only way for you to help the world to see Jesus is to get cleansed from your sin. Not just the sin on the surface, but what goes down deep. And God is asking us to get at it. There's a doctrine uh, that I've studied as of late called the doctrine of suffering. And I don't have time to get into it. There's some profound things that I could share with you about this. And there's a, there's a great understanding that God gave me years ago. I've never heard it preached by anyone else. But it was something God showed me which was profound about what Jesus did when he went through his temptations. And I'd like to share with you sometime. I don't have time. But in the doctrine of suffering. Hebrews 5.8 says this. Though he was a son. Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. That is a profound verse. He was the son of God. He was perfect in all his ways. There wasn't one shadow of sin in his life and yet he learned obedience through the things he suffered how many of us avoid suffering like the plague we want comfort in america because we like to be comfortable we like to be full and there's nothing wrong with those things but if we're comfortable in our sin or comfortable in our Christianity that's not perfected in Christ, that is sin. And that needs to be dealt with. If we're comfortable in our flesh, if we think we're all that or we don't need to improve, then we're, then we're, we're not doing what God has called us to do. We're not getting down to the, the end of it where we can become more Uh, bright as witnesses, more shining as witnesses to a lost and hurting world. How many of you believe that revival is coming? Man, on Sunday, I thought we were going to take off. Amen. We're getting, we're this close. We need something to put us over. And how many of you know we're not waiting on God, He's waiting on us? Amen. Amen. So as we deal with these little things, I told Pastor Nathan, we were talking about this, and I said, what I see in the last few weeks, because there's since 2020, there's been a ramp up. And we're not the only ones feeling it. It's around the world. God, God's people are feeling something has changed. Some, something has shifted. And God wants to do one more revival, one more harvest. The purpose of revival is harvest. And, and I was telling somebody the other day, God's a good farmer. He is. He's the best. And he's got his eyes on the harvest. The Bible says, why does he wait? Why does he tarry? Well, he's, he's, he's looking for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting to harvest what's there. And who's he waiting on? I think he's waiting on us. But he's getting ready. He's getting ready. The other day we were in the greenhouse... And uh, we've got the, a gutter greenhouse, and it's got a big old wide gutter. It's about this deep and this wide. And I put four downspouts off of it. And uh, eventually I'm going to do a rain catchment system off of it. But well, I thought four downspouts, that's plenty. <laughs> and that rain came down the other day, and it filled that gutter up, and it over—it was like two or three inches above the top of it, so I could see it on the greenhouse plastic and it was flowing out over the side. It was flooding my greenhouse. And, uh, you know, I was like, holy cow, what's going on here? And the Lord reminded me, he said, in the last days, I want to send the former and the latter rain at the same time. And I started praising God because it was a reminder of what God is getting ready to do. But we've got to get ready, folks. we got to get ourselves in line because we don't want, to be harboring any kind of sin. We don't want to be harboring anything that's going to hold God back. Amen. There's a constant war, I talked about, going on inside of us, and so we're going to deal with that through fasting. Fasting. Put to death your members that are on the earth. Amen? All right. Here's something that the Lord has been showing me. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. As we fast, we learn obedience. And as we fast, we we submit our flesh to crucifixion, and we allow the spirit to rise up, and there's power in that. How many of you know that we're not the only ones that know that? The dark side knows it as well. And a few years ago, I heard a lady by the name of Marilyn Hickey. Anyone ever heard of Marilyn Hickey? Marilyn Hickey was flying on an airplane, and she was sitting next to a young guy, and they got to talking, and the guy shared with her that he was fasting. So Marilyn immediately thought, well, this guy's a Christian. And so she began to talk to him and found out he wasn't a Christian at all. He was into, I believe, Wicca. And he was fasting, and the purpose of his fast was so that they could affect the spirit realm so Christians would get divorces, if I remember the thing right. It was something of that nature. They were trying to do harm. To when we do fast, we sacrifice to God. When we give, there's, there's spiritual power unleashed because it, we're, we're, we're giving him something. We're giving him something to work with that's not uh, indulging in the earth. Now we're indulging in him. We're indulging in the spirit. And it takes a sacrifice. Fasting gets the most results of any uh, way of getting to God, as we said earlier. And Pastor Johnny did a great job. He was talking about that the last week. But here's a verse that fasting, uh, I I believe it's something that if we don't incorporate this into fasting, it it doesn't work right. Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God. When you fast, do do yourself a favor, turn your radio off, turn your television off, put your phone in the other room or turn it off, begin to get still, There's there's a book called Remarkable Miracles, it's no longer in print and it's a miracle actually how I found the book, I found it in the Philippines, it was a very old copy when we were missionaries over there The missionary we served with, he had an old copy, and it was called Remarkable Miracles, about a guy named Bevington that lived back in the 1800s. And uh, so I heard them talk, the missionaries talking about it, and I said, where's this book? And he gave me the book, and I read it. I got back to the States, and I was like, man, I didn't have that book, but I wanted to read it again. And I was talking to a minister who was from Australia, and he knew about the book and was able to get me a copy of the book. And so I have a copy. And Bevington was a remarkable guy. That's it's remarkable miracles. But one of the things that he learned to do, he used to climb up in haymos. He he ministered in Ohio, Kentucky, and even in Tennessee. So he was all around these areas. But he used to crawl up in the haymows and he'd hollow out a spot in there, and he would sit in there fasting and praying for days until he could hear God. And he used to say this, he said, I I tried to get still, I tried to get quiet. And God would show him things that would answer needs in ways that would just blow your mind. Or town, or like he was trying to get into, God had told him to go to a particular town, or like a little out out in the boonies where they didn't have a church, and they were very worldly there. He told him to go there, so he went there. And Bevington shows up, didn't know what he was going to do, right? So the Lord says, you know, you, you need to do meetings. Well, he needed a place to do meetings. And they had a schoolhouse. And so he had to get the trustee of the schoolhouse to give him the key so he could get in there. Well, the trustee was the chief uh, bootlegger, you know, the chief guy that was out gambling and doing all the things that, that Bevington was going to be addressing, right? And so the guy didn't want to give him the key. So Bevington went into his haymo and he started praying and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he fasted and he prayed and after I don't know how many days he got this vision In the vision he saw a key, he saw the key go into the lock, he saw it turn and he saw the door open up and he said when it opened up it scratched the the part of the floor where it opened up, he could see that where the door wasn't hanging right. And he heard it creak, and he heard it scratch across the door, and he saw it. And so he said, it's done. So he went out, and guess who he found? He found this guy all raggedy looking and wild-eyed, and he said, where have you been? He goes, I've been looking all over for you. He said, my wife, she's carrying on and driving me crazy, and I can't sleep at night. And he goes, here's the key. And Bevington went, and he opened the door, and guess what? He, it's exactly what he saw in the vision. But see, you've got to get still. And I'll tell you, it's hard. I've been practicing. I'm trying to practice stillness. And when I practice stillness, I'm kind of like a, uh, I, I'm a little bit of an innovator. i I got projects going on, you know, at the greenhouse and at home. And, and I'm constantly thinking of ideas and different things. And so I'm sitting there and I'm meditating on God. And all of a sudden this idea pops in my mind about some problem that I got. I'm like no you know and I, you know or you know or some other wild thought and it's tough but as you practice it as you fast and you pray and you learn to be still what does it say be still and know that I am God In other words if you're not still you can't know but if you be still you know How many of you want to know God We need to know that God is God and you are not God. We need to know that God is is holy and we need to let God examine us. And we need to be still. How many of you know, you know, when you were a little kid and you you went to the doctor and they were trying to make you get still so they could check you out? You're squirming all over the place. Remember getting a shot when you were little? Man, I I used to go crazy. Crazy. And I remember one time, I got so crazy, I hit the needle and my nurse gave herself a shot. And she was not happy. So I think she put that needle in a little extra hard when I got it. But, you know, we need to be still. We need to let God examine us. We need to let God look inside. Because only God can see the things that need to be seen. I used to teach my kids a principle. I said... The most potent deception is self-deception. Nobody can lie to you like you can. Everybody else will know how you are, but you, you'll be convinced that you're some something better than that. Right? That's why you get offended when people say things about you that are true. Why? Because you want to believe better than that. They're telling you the truth and you know it's the truth and you still get mad. Hear what I'm saying? But I'll tell you what, even as you become a person who's introspective and you're examining yourself and you're trying to see where you're on the right track or the wrong track, you're going to miss some things. The Holy Ghost can put a gold light on that, but only if you're still. So if you want to go that extra mile for God, if you want to get that extra spiritual, you know, height in your life, you're going to have to go the hard way. And that's fasting. We need to get real. We need to be sincere and honest. And we need to repent. And we need to let God heal hidden heart wounds. How many of you have wounds? Every Sunday morning, somebody's getting ministered about wounds. Did you know God could heal them and they could be gone? He could get down to the very nitty gritty of that wound, He could get the very last, you know, pit. Of that wound and fill it up. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you know God doesn't need your strength? He doesn't need your strength, He needs your weaknesses. Psalm 51, verse 17 says The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The more broken we are, the more God likes it. I'm not talking about broken by the world. I'm talking about broken by a humble heart of repentance. What do we need to do? What's the solution? We need to get weak. Fasting will get you weak faster than anything I've ever known. How many of you feel weak when you fast? You feel weak. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 Paul said, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's say that together. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You want to be strong in the Lord? How many of you want to be strong in the Lord? You got to get weak. That's what the Bible's saying get weak. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for his sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now you know why Paul fasted. It's a good thing. I'm up here tonight trying to inspire you. You know what? We're in, we're in the middle of this fast, and I love it. I love it. It's one of the best fasts I've ever been on. And my wife's telling me, she goes, I think I'm going to fast two days a week. And I'm thinking, whoa, Nellie, you know. But, you know, that wouldn't be a bad thing. We need to do this while we're fasting, while we're getting weak. We need to have faith. Amen. Amen. We need to have faith. We need to believe that God's going to do something. Here's a verse to give you faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and here's the key, and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want you to know this about God. If you're sincere, if you're going after God, you will not be denied. God is, God is not playing games with us. He's not playing, you know, uh, catch, catch the, you know, the, the carrot. He's the one that put the fasting idea into your brain, into your heart, because He wants you to pursue Him. And as you pursue Him, the promise is He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He said, if you come to me with all your heart, you'll find me. You'll find me. And so we need to get our faith amped up. As we're fasting, as a church, we need to believe God for more of Him. We need to believe God for souls. Amen. Pray for souls. Pray that their eyes would be open, their ears would be attended. When when we give them the gospel, that they wouldn't turn away. And I can see in this live, they're starting to get more attentive. So if the church people are coming alive... That's the step that we have to have before the world comes alive. The world will hear the gospel when there's an anointing on you and on me and on the church. Pastor Nathan, I believe Sunday, was talking about the book of Acts. And when the rushing mighty wind came and God poured out his spirit on them, everybody took notice. And they wanted to know what's going on. Wouldn't you love it? If they came to you and say, what's going on with you? Yeah. Amen. 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 Wouldn't you love it like Azusa Street when they had, the, they had flames coming out of the top of the building and the building wasn't on fire? And the firemen, the fire trucks came to put the fire out and there was, there was Holy Ghost fire. Amen. And guess what? You can't put that out. Amen. Amen. No fireman on earth can put that out. Amen. Well, that's about it for tonight. Amen. I believe if we take this seriously and if we'll take steps and and you might say, "Well, it's halfway through the fast and I haven't fasted one day. Start now." Start now. And you know, if you can fast 2 day, 2 meals a day, 3 meals a day, it's up to you. You know, fast and get hungry. Get hungry. But not just hungry in your body. Get hungry for God. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Turning Point Church. To stay connected, we invite you to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love for you to join us for a Sunday or midweek service. God bless you and have a wonderful week.